Are you tired of hearing people complain about the world and ready to own the responsibility to make the world a better place? Hey, my name is Brent Simpson and welcome to this episode of Creating the Future. I believe that within each of us is a yearning to make the world a better place. So let's work together and make that desire a reality. My hope is that today's conversation inspires you as you endeavor to create the future. My goodness, if you are a deep thinking person, you are in store for a treat today as we have Dr. Joe Davis with us on the podcast today. And to give you some background, Joe Davis holds a Bachelor in Philosophy and History from Towson University, a a Master's of Divinity from Oral Roberts University, and a PhD in Apologetics from Westminster Theological Seminary. And he's also the current uh, Professor of Apologetics at Southeastern University and has been for quite a while. In fact, that's where I first met Joe Davis many years ago because I as well have a background in apologetics and uh, we are friends and he is a great guy that you're going to enjoy learning from today. And if you don't even know what apologetics is, just stay tuned. We're going to unpack it in just a second as we answer this really difficult question, or at least what seems like a difficult question. If God is all good and all powerful, why does he allow evil in the world? And specifically, does the coronavirus actually show that God doesn't exist? In other words, if if God is all-powerful and all-good, why doesn't he just stop the coronavirus immediately? Why does he allow it to touch us if he loves us and has the ability to stop it? So if that piques your interest, you're going to have a blast today in this conversation. Hey, also, we're going to answer more of these questions like this later on in in the podcast. And so if you have uh, questions that you would like us to answer, do me a favor and send them over to me on Facebook through the Creating the Future with Brent Simpson uh, Facebook page or Instagram or other places you can find me at. And uh, we would love to answer these questions later on in some coming episodes. Other than that, jump right in, sit back, put on your thinking caps, man. We are going to have a blast in this conversation with Joe Davis. All right, guys, welcome to this exciting episode of Creating the Future because I have Dr. Joe Davis uh, with me today, and I am a big fan of Dr. Davis. Uh, He is a Southeastern professor, as you heard me say before, but he works in this realm of apologetics. And um, when we say the word apologetics, I realize a lot of people don't have a clue what that means. And uh, still to this day, I, I mentioned the word apologetics, and they're like, so what are you apologizing for? So as we get started and get launched in this conversation, let's just start there right off the bat and say, uh, Joe, welcome to the podcast. And then how, how do you define apologetics? Brent, thanks so much. You're right. I, I have the same thing, of course, being a PhD and that people are like, what are you, PhD in apologizing? And I usually <laughs> say I'm married, of course. No, <laughs> but uh, but uh, apologetics is the defense of the faith. And uh, it's not just the defense of the faith, it's also the uh, theoretical arm of Christianity that asks questions of the dominant systems, uh, thought systems of our time. And so when someone's a PhD in apologetics or they go into apologetics, they have to have a little bit of knowledge of uh, all of the dominant uh, systems of thought. And so that would be uh, science, it would be psychology, it would be philosophy for sure. And so you, you want to be conversant with 
uh, these areas in order to be able to answer questions in a comprehensive uh, fashion. And what we don't want is just sort of glib answers uh, that are uninformed. Uh, we do want uh, to be able to be knowledgeable about what we're talking about. But it's natural that people have questions and people ask me, how did you get into apologetics? And the simple answer is people had questions. Mm -hmm. Some of them were legitimate questions. They wanted to know why God allowed this. Why did God allow that? Uh, how, what caused God? Things like that. And so the questions that people had sometimes uh, were uh, the things that they'd heard other people said and they were just repeating them. Right. Or other times they thought about it and they really wanted to know answers. And uh, so apologetics tries to handle the hardest questions uh, that people have uh, about Christianity and about God. Uh, so I like to say it this way. There's, there's a twofold aspect to it. Uh, there is the responding to the questions that are asked. And I like to say it this way. Truth is not afraid of a question. Mm -hmm. Rather, it relishes at an opportunity to be able to explain the glory and mysteries of our faith. Yeah. And the second part of it is to be able to ask questions to other systems that uh, from a Christian standpoint and to say, so why would you think this way? Right. And to ask those questions. That's, that's so key. Yet a lot of Christians have grown up in an environment where questions were off limits. And some environments are, you do this because I say so, don't question me, don't question the whys of why to do this, simply do it. And so apologetics in a lot of ways, as I understand your explanation, would be answering those questions. It's not limited to that, but that would be a lot of it. And that's probably Absolutely. where most people are at, you know. Sure. And, um, and, and I, I, yeah. I believe that God is a, a thinking God, so to speak, uh, which means he loves thinking people. Right, we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. <laughs> yes, yes, it's yeah. a very good point that when Jesus says how we're supposed to worship God, mind is included in that. Mm -hmm. And I think you're quite right. I think that we have done people a disservice by not allowing them to ask questions because they're right. going to have the questions asked to them. Mm -hmm. So we might as well allow them to be asked in church. Right, should be a safe environment to ask questions. All right, yeah. so, so let's dive into a, a big one right now that is going to be on some people's minds. I, I know there's some atheist memes going on around this uh, that are kind of floated around. So let's talk about this pandemic. We're in the middle of it. Uh, you know, the COVID pandemic, pan, uh, uh, coronavirus. Is the coronavirus evidence against God? Yeah, well, certainly not. Uh, not any more so than any other illness or any other uh, imperfection in the universe. And uh, lots of times you hear what I call a very facile argument or uh, not too well-informed arguments, just simply arguing from uh, imperfection or as Richard Dawkins talks about the blind watchmaker. And you hear people say, well, you know, look, uh, there's all these imperfections in humanity or imperfections in our world. What about tsunamis? What about hurricanes? Uh, what about uh, pandemics? What about these things? Uh, how could a good God allow evil in the world? Well, uh, my, my first point to that would be, uh, don't yell at the carpenter while the carpenter's working. And, so, <laughs> and, and just to give you a visual, I mean, if you walked up to somebody building a house and it was halfway finished and you started yelling and screaming and you started saying, this is imperfect, this is imperfect. I mean, the carpenter would look at you and go, what in the world is wrong with you? 
Hmm. Obviously, this is not a finished product. And so the simple uh, line of thought there is, if you are looking for perfection in that which is stated as imperfect and is uh, revealed to us as imperfect and as never claimed to be perfect, then in fact you're yelling at the carpenter while something is in process. Mm -hmm. Or let me go further on that. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that the earth or anything in our solar system is a finished work. It doesn't say that. It says the opposite. What it says is, in the very opening chapters of Genesis, in Genesis 3, one of the four curses is the ground. Cursed be the ground because of you. And so the earth is actually a mirror in the Bible. It mirrors humanity. And now there's a little bit deeper level. There is this idea that, in fact, that the earth is communicating with us its fragile as well as imperfect nature to get across a message. What is the message? The message is very simple. This is not it. Mm. And that's the message that I want to tell people who have questions about imperfection, regardless of what the imperfection is. If you came to me and you said, look, there's somebody who in my church who has cancer. There's somebody who was born without an arm. There's all of these terrible things that we see. Nowhere does the scriptures teach that this is a perfect place. Why? Because it doesn't want to delude you or anybody else that this is heaven. It actually wants it to be imperfect. Now, that may seem like a very strange idea, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it this way. In fact, God doesn't want you to get confused. Or let me go further. You know, uh, living in the United States, we have a pretty nice setup here. Mm -hmm. It's not Bangladesh, okay? And you've been around, you, you know. I've been to areas of the world where uh, suffering is acute, and it's not just a pandemic. We're talking about uh, poverty. We're talking about lack of drinking water. We're talking about horrible things occurring. And so the reality is that you and I, Grant, have it bluntly better than most of the world. I mean, we can go to Starbucks, we can get a latte. I right. mean, we, we, we have very nice. But truthfully, there's a, just a whole lot of people in this world who are not doing well. And so it's, it's widespread. It's not just one thing. In Romans 8.22, it says this, the earth cries out and groans, waiting for its day of liberation. And so I guess the very first comment about this is, that the biblical stance is that the world is designed, and that's an interesting way to put it, is designed to communicate its lack or its imperfection. Hmm. So that a, another question might develop, is there more? Is there something more? Yeah, that's, that's interesting. So what would you say to the person who pushes back and says you got six days of creation, and each day he's saying it is good, which seems to mean that part of the creation experience is finished. Six days he creates, the seventh day he is done creating, which means in theory God is finished and he's resting and we're still in that resting period today. Yeah, well, I'd say a lot of things. First, I'd say that Hebrews 4 talks about the Sabbath rest as being uh, heaven itself, or to put it another way, perfection. Uh, and I do not think that uh, the scriptures are trying to communicate in that passage that creation is finished. And another reason for that is uh, in Revelation, we're going to hear about a new heaven and a new earth appearing. 
And so I don't think any of this caught by God by surprise as to how this was going to work. I don't think one day after creation, during or right after the fall, he goes, oh my golly, now what am I going to do? <laughs> now, again, I'm, I'm not trying to be glib about this, but I have a feeling if God is not limited by time, and if in fact uh, that he's able to see a past and, and even for those who say, well, he is limited by time. Well, if he's, if he's smart enough to understand the parameters of free will, there's a high probability that people aren't always going to choose what's best. Right. And so I, I'm going to say, even in a prob- probability standpoint, I, I'm pretty sure he knows that, in fact, that we are not at a place of perfection, not at a place of rest, and that this is predictive of the future. And Hebrews 4 actually says that. Yeah. Okay, so what we're really talking about here is the problem of evil. Now, there's some people that are very versed in this, and they're familiar with that term, the problem of evil. There's others who have never heard of this before. So I'm going to give a real quick explanation that says, if God is all-powerful and all-good, which you and I would both agree that he is, and Christians in general would agree he is all-powerful and all-good, then why is there evil in the world? Why are there things that God has the power to stop and the all goodness, the benevolence to stop, but yet yeah. doesn't stop. That's really yeah. kind of this coronavirus conversation right here. So, so which one is it? Is he all good or all powerful? Because you can't be both, can you? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, of course, the famous distinctions of many, many people who have written about this. A uh, Mac philosopher has written about this and basically come to the conclusion it's not possible uh, to give people some reading on this. There is, a, 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 unfortunately, a very technical book by Plantinga, uh, on God, freedom, and evil. And I think he, he does come up with a, a number of very good answers, one of which that I'll use. And frankly, that is, of course, God could create a place where there wasn't evil. That is certainly possible. Uh, but the issue comes in, is it possible to give people free will and it truly be free and there not be evil? In other words, are you really asking the question, can God make a square hole through which a round uh, peg will go through? And so, in other words, when people say God cannot, can do anything, I don't think too many theologians would say that, in fact, that there aren't some limitations to that. And the way that I like to say it is that God is limited by himself. In other words, there is a limitation that God has, namely himself. And so God is truth. And the one thing in Hebrews it says that he cannot do is he cannot lie. And so he has to be true to himself. You could lots of arguments go on there in a real theoretical nature in the sense of, well, does he have to be true to himself? Well, the answer is yes. And the reason being is if God is not true to himself or can deceive us as to himself, and I'm getting a little technical here, then in fact, we could never know who and what God is. And so the nature of God is truth and the barometer or measurement of God is truth. And if God isn't associated with truth, then we we have a pretty big problem. So what does that mean? It means that, in fact, that uh, God is not going to uh, make, um, how shall we say, two plus two equal five. Okay, that's just not going to occur. And the reason it's not going to occur is because he's being logically true to his nature. And so being true to his nature, he is going to be true to the idea even of two plus two equal four. So having said that, where does this leave us with God? Could God make 
a place where there isn't any evil. Yes, he certainly could. Uh, God can make rocks that don't respond. He can make robots that only respond to his uh, directives, I guess is the way to say it. We can make computers in such a manner that they are responsive to only the computer programs that are uh, created within them. I'm going to say the beautiful thing about our existence is that, in fact, God has made us so that we can choose. Mm -hmm. The problem with choice is that, in fact, you can choose the opposite of what you want to. And so the nature of God is that he wanted to create people who had that freedom. Why? To a certain degree, it's as simple as what would you rather have uh, in a, a relationship at all? someone who responds or doesn't respond. And uh, I dated a girl once who was supposed to be the prettiest girl in the high school, but I, I, I think she said seven words on our date. And, and by the time we were done, I was praying that the date would be over. <laughs> and uh, you, you just aren't going to have much of a relationship with a non-responsive aspect. Pe people don't develop relationships with rocks, you know? It, you know, they don't have a relationship with it. You develop relationships with people who are responsive. And generally, you, re you develop them with people who are more responsive than other people. Mm -hmm. So a God, not out of need, but out of desire. And I would again say out of his nature, his nature to share himself creates people who are responsive. But that means that you have the freedom. So all the way back to your question. Could you create, not you, but God, create a world in which uh, everything was perfect? I'm going to say, not if you give people free will. No. And so there's a choice there. You either know, in fact, that there's going to be problems, or you create it so that there can't be any. And true, God did have that choice. Yeah. He had the choice to create a responsive human being or a non-responsive being. He chose responsive. And I think everybody who's ever been in a relationship would agree that responsive is better. Okay, so if I'm understanding you correctly, you have these uh, logical impossibilities, which seem pretty straightforward. And that's really where the question comes, can God create a rock so big he can't pick it up? That's a logically incoherent question. It's logically impossible. Uh, you know, two plus plur can't equal five. You can't have a married bachelor, all, all those sort of things. You can't you know, God can't create a, a, a circle, that's square, you know, those kind of things. Correct. So, so the big picture overview, you just expressed that pretty well, but then there's a practical side of it that says in the middle of a Corona ep epidemic, say, say for instance, a, a family member gets the coronavirus, and yeah, you have a philosophical answer for that, but then you have a very practical answer of going, God, you are all, you are all powerful and you are all good. And I'm calling on you to heal and to touch in this situation. And for whatever reason, and I guess that's what I'm asking you, he doesn't. And so somebody could yeah. leave and walk away from that going, okay, one of two things, either he's not all powerful or he's not uh, all good. One of those two things. And obviously a lot of people, you know, in the middle of a crisis like this, some people come closer to the Lord and some people walk away. And oftentimes those are the kind of questions that lead somebody to walk away because they don't have answers to those questions. So, so we got the big yeah, picture. I, I, what's the, what's I, the the practical side of it? Uh, on a very practical, and I think you're right, and I was a pastor for 19 years. And so even when students ask me uh, these uh, deep theological questions as it relates to suffering, my first answer is there's uh, human beings are not all logical. 
okay? There are some people who would like to be Spock on stage. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the epitome of life is they have no emotion whatsoever, you know? And they're just simply a little computer uh, that spits out information. Well, that's just not human beings. Right. And having been a pastor for 19 years, what I know is that human beings are both rational and emotional. Now, to be sure, I think sometimes we teach it the opposite direction. Uh, there's no answers for these questions. We just have to be with people and comfort them in their time of need. Well, truthfully, if that was the truth, I wouldn't be a Christian. You know, I would just say, you don't have an answer then. Fine, I'm out of here. And I would frankly be a Buddhist. <laughs> I, I would learn not to ask questions like that. You know, I would say desire is the root of all evil, and I just wouldn't desire to have an answer. So, so I, would, I just wouldn't do it. Well, the reality is we're, we're, we're both of these things. So the pastoral side of me says when people have these questions, comfort them, love them, be with them, show them that you are there for them. Yeah. And here's a, to use a theological term, incarnational. We're being with people in their time of suffering and in their time of need. And sometimes our actions speak louder than any words that we can say. And I would say the more closer that we are to the tragedy, the, the more emotive and the more feeling-oriented it would be, and the more that we're to minister in that way and we're to care for people. However, the question is a good one. And it's not to be dismissed merely because of the emotional. And so we, we have to do both. We have to minister to the emotional side and care for people. And also we have to be able to have intelligent answers to this question. Mm -hmm. And so what is the intelligent answer to this question? I'd like to tell you I came up with it, but I didn't. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but you, didn't you didn't answer the problem of evil all by yourself. I, I appreciate your understanding. 2,000-year-old, you know. <laughs> I'm old, but I'm not that old. <laughs> and I think one of the best answers that I've ever heard is uh, City of God by Augustine. And I tell people uh, an incredibly boring, long book, punctuated by moments of brilliance. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, I remember reading it thinking, oh, my golly, why is anybody reading this? And then he would he would just shoot out some brilliant truth. What is it that he says in that? Here's the thing that I think is important. There is no such thing as a general event to God. Hmm. Now, there it is right there. There's no such thing as a general event. We have a pandemic, whether we have a tsunami, a hurricane, anything like that. In each and every case, there is a weave going on in which billions of lives are weaved together. Now, why must we say that? Physics. Every action has an equal and opposite reaction. In the language of philosophy, counterfactuals. Now, how do I like to say it to bring it down a little bit so that, so that people can understand? I call it the calculation of negation, and it sounds like a rough, horrible term, but it's very simply this. We have to factor in that if every action has an equal and opposite reaction, that there's some things that have to be factored into the overall equation. I don't really ever want to lose anybody I've ever loved but that's not reality. And the reality is every moment of life that they spend is in fact something that God has to, has to calculate as to its effect. And the effect is in the billions upon billions. And it's not just an effect. It's, it's, it is exponential in its growth. And so whether I have 
one child, two child, children, three children, four children, 10 children is going to factor greatly in the effect just simply on a very small level. And uh, uh, another quick example, when I was a pastor and I uh, was asked to become a professor at Southeastern, my wife said to me, <laughs> and she meant the best by it, she said, aren't you concerned about the thousands of lives that will be changed if you leave the pastoral ministry? <laughs> she was trying to make me feel much more calm about this. <laughs> and the only response that I could give her was, I can't, I can't, I can't base my decision on the effects. I simply have to do what I believe God wants me to do and allow the exponential effects to be in his wheel, to be in his category. So the same would be true in the negative or the, or the virus. It is true people are going to die. It's true that people are going to die from all sorts of things every single day. People are going to die from the flu. People are going to die in hurricanes, tsunamis. All of those things are true. But in each and every case, we'll hear situations where people are miraculously survived through prayer. Mm -hmm. Pray. People are miraculously survived who didn't deserve to, how shall we say, who didn't believe in God, and they were miraculously. And, and I'm an example of one of those. I was in a car accident. And because of the car accident, I began to question, why am I here? What's the point? Yeah. And so I, I think that, that when we ask the question of evil, we always ask it as if it occurs in a vacuum. There isn't a vacuum. There just isn't one. Mm -hmm. So to ask, why did God allow this to happen in my life? I understand completely why you ask that question. All of us ask those questions. But if you want to bring it down to physics, which I think you ought to, the answer is every action has an equal and opposite reaction, and all the reactions have to be factored into the grand equation. And one of the reasons I believe in God is because I don't think this is just a happenstance that all of this math in the universe is just, as Einstein said, a roll of the dice. I think it's a whole lot more complicated. Yeah, that's so good. Right, we're, we're getting low on time here, but I'm, I'm going to throw two little nuggets out, especially on the ones a little more practical than the other. But uh, our mutual friend, Chris Green, that we were actually talking about just before uh, we, we recorded, uh, Chris Green said to me one time, he said, if God took all the people out of pain, there would be no Christians amidst the pain to be able to minister to other people. And sometimes we want God to separate us from everything else, and we're not going to have this. You lose all compassion, you lose empathy, and you can't minister effectively if God suddenly takes you out of the pain. Now, that's not no very question. helpful to tell somebody in the middle of a painful process. However, I will switch gears slightly and say what is, what is practical to me is this. And, and this is coming to the person who goes through a hard time and they walk away from God because of that hard time. Is the hard time any easier without God than it was with God? And no, that's and, a big question. Yeah. Yeah. A very good question. And there we have all sorts of uh, data that we can bring to the table on people. Uh, Kiernig of Duke University has done lots of studies uh, on, on this very question. How do people react who are not of faith versus people who have faith? There's no question at all. Every category that we can measure, people of faith do better without question. Uh, and uh, real uh, simple story along those lines, there was a lady that came to my church her boyfriend actually um, beat her son uh, into a coma. Wow. And a horrible, horrible thing. 
Well, it was interesting because the baby didn't make it. It was a baby. And that family, which had just returned to faith, I thought for sure they would walk away from God. Horrible, such a horrible thing. Just the opposite occurred. They gathered around the bed and they began to sing Amazing Grace. Oh my golly, I could, I, my tears just streaming down my face. And I said to the chaplain of the Hershey Medical Center, a children's hospital in Pennsylvania, what do people do that don't have faith in times like this? And he said, they turn on each other. I'll never forget it. He said, they turn on each other. And he said, they get angry at God, even if they don't believe in God, which is, which is, you're like, what? They said, they just are full of rage and then they destroy themselves. Hmm. And so truthfully, no question. This is, you know, how shall we say? None of us will be spared the tears that come from the loss of love. And you, and I'll, and I'll go a bit further. If you don't shed any tears, you probably have never experienced love or opened your heart. You're going to lose people. And, and I wish I could tell you this is a perfect place. But what I will tell you is there is a place where there is no more tears. And that, in fact, there is a place of perfection. It's just not here. That's good. There's a popular saying right now that says, if you're going through hell, just keep going. I would switch that around and say, if you're going through hell, make sure it's on the way to heaven, right? (laughs) I'll end with this. um, uh, Just a verse that popped in my head. Philippians 1, 6 is very famous. People know it. It says, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And that's the work that he's working in all of us. And if you keep going through hell, make sure it's on the way to heaven where everything is completed and you are made perfect and whole. All right, Dr. Davis, thank you so much for being on the podcast with us. Um, I know we were talking about this before too, and and you really don't want everybody contacting you. It's hard to respond to all the questions that come up. And, and I, and I completely feel that, but if somebody does have questions just in general, or wants to learn more about apologetics, maybe this sparked an interest, where would you send them like books or or, or maybe websites and things? Yeah, I, I generally try to send people to books. I like William Lane Craig's reasonable faith. I think that's good. If you're a little bit, uh, if you have a, a master's degree or pretty sharp, I would say God, Freedom, and Evil with Plantinga. Uh, those are very good sources. Uh, I, I think I would begin to read there. Uh, good opportunities there for information. Okay. And Thank I you. wish I could answer everybody's question uh, when they have it, but uh, I, uh, I'd have to hire people in all honesty to be able to do that. Well, I believe that Joe will be a repeat uh, person on our podcast. So if you've got a question that you would like to see us answer on this podcast in, you know, one of the coming you know, months, uh, reach out to me on Facebook or um, go to uh, Creating the Future with uh, Brent Simpson on Facebook and send a message. And that can tell us in the future what kind of answers that we need to bring to you as I convince uh, Dr. Davis to come back on soon. <laughs> All right. Best well, friend, that- thanks. All right. Thank you guys so much for joining us. I hope you enjoyed this episode today. God bless you. I hope you enjoyed this conversation today, and I especially hope it added value to you. If you enjoyed it, would you do me a favor and give us a five-star rating on your podcast provider? It really helps to get the word out. And of course, if you share this content with your friends, that would be great too. And until next time, I hope you continue creating a better future. I look forward to being with you again soon.